Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, Crosswalk family, our friends, guests. We are so glad you are here today. Welcome. I want to tell you about one little thing that there have been a lot of questions about as we get rolling into our series, the fourth week of our series. But some of you had asked, hey, when is the podcast going to be up so that we can listen to any week that we missed or share with friends, that sort of thing. This Monday, we will be launching our podcast of the teachings that happen right here in Chattanooga. And you can go to our website and you can click on that, go partway down and there's a banner that you'll see that has Spotify and Apple Music of all the music that we might be singing in worship. And there'll also be a link, a click there that you can, you can make and you can take advantage of that. I don't know how quickly we'll get all the way up to speed, but we will end up backdating, finding our way all the way back to at least May 20 when I first landed here. And uh, it does feel a little odd and interesting for me to say welcome because I'm still feeling just a little bit new. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave Ferguson, the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Chattanooga. And if you have not, and I have not had a chance to learn your name, I'd love to after the service today. We're going to continue on in our series. This is the fourth week, the little letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Today, 2 John. 2 John, if you'll notice as we put a verse of scripture up there, it might feel a little weird because the reference will say something like 2 John 1, because there's only one chapter, it's just 13 verses long, and we can let it kind of wash over us a little bit today. When, I, when I'm preaching uh, on a passage of scripture, I love letting the, over time, just letting that passage just kind of wash over me by listening to the scripture in different versions of scripture, just letting, letting it just kind of bake a little bit. And with some regularity, little themes will start to kind of emerge. And there are three, three things that today kind of have just emerged in my thinking as I've been talking with God, as I've been studying, and as I've been just listening to God's word here in 2 John. So let's, let's take a little run at it as we start this little letter. It starts out this way. The elder, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. And if you notice, this particular little set of two verses is pretty saturated with a specific word. What is it? Love. There's another one that repeats. And in fact, it's mentioned like five different times in this chapter, truth. So there's this combo of truth and love, and sometimes we pit these two things against one another, and John is going to do something very different with this. So to this chosen lady, um, I, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and who will be with us forever. Well, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. All right. Well, we just kind of launch in here. That's kind of an opening letter, by the way. It's, there, there is a length of, of the typical letter in the, the Greco-Roman world of that time. And this is almost spot on. It's right around 300 words often, it seems, in antiquity. And this and the next book, 3 John, are both about that length. 
So it's interesting, as we read this letter, there are some typical things, these greetings. But the first question is, okay, who is the elder? Well, you're not going to be surprised by my putting forth that this is John, right? First John, second John. It would be a little odd for me to take a different uh, stab here, possibly. There is a tiny bit of argument, but not much. The idea of the elder, we use that kind of terminology in churches sometimes for leaders. That isn't exactly how it's being used here, though, scholars would say. In fact, here it is, this man who's 90 to 100 years old, he's toward the end of his life, he is respected, and he is actually um, just leaning into the fact he knows he's an elder statesman. In fact, he's the last living apostle as he writes this letter. And then there's this kind of odd little, I don't know if, you, if this, you've, you've looked at this before, but he writes this letter to the chosen lady. And he will talk to her, refer to her throughout the course of this letter. At the very end, we probably won't have time to touch on the very, very ending where he talks about the sister of this lady and so on. So there's a, quite a discussion. Who is John writing this letter to? And many, many scholars, there's a divide here. It's quite, quite debated. But many scholars will suggest to you that this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for the church. And that's not a terribly wild notion. We will often say, well, our sister church in, in Redlands, California, or in Portland, right? So we have often feminine terms for churches, and so this is not terribly outlandish or unusual. There are other scholars, though, who would say I, they think that this is actually written to a specific woman who leads a church. And in fact, if you take these two words that are translated here, chosen and lady, in the Greek, it's eklekti for the chosen or the elected one, the one set apart by God. Uh, and that, that word uh, shows up in a variety of places in scripture as chosen of God. And it's a, it's a term that suggests there's something important they've been tasked with doing. And then the word that translates lady here, it, this is the only place, 2 John, where this Greek word shows up. Curia. It shows up elsewhere in the New Testament, kurios, kurios. For instance, Jesus would talk about you believing that I am master and Lord. And so kurios is this word Lord. That's the male, the masculine version of it. Kuria is the feminine version of this. And so you think about it. This is, this is a statement, a chosen person who's leading out with something. In fact, by the time we're all done here, John will say, look, I'm holding you responsible for the teachings of the church. And there's some issues that he is concerned about that he's going to get into. This kind of, kind of jumped out to me because I, I, I really don't know which one, which one this is, a specific woman or if it is a, a, a way to reference what the church is, either globally or a specific church. I think that the application is kind of similar either way. I am, though, a little bit curious about those who feel strongly that they hope this is not a specific woman. Because if you are not happy about the idea of women leading in spiritual things, this is a problem if it's a specific woman. Weirdly, some of the people who are really hopeful this is a metaphor are also very insistent that we not read scripture metaphorically. Again, I don't know which it is, but it struck me this might be a good moment to stop for a second and point out something. Jesus elevated 
women. Not just, not just with respect in terms of ways that they were otherwise abused, but respect in terms of making use of them for ministry. You know, it's women that are credited. We know there must have been others as well, men. That would be the others as well. But in Luke... The writer credits, gives us kind of description of the disciples of Jesus and points out the women disciples of Jesus, Mary Magdalene being one of them. And that the women, some of these women, were the financial support for Jesus' ministry. At a time when it was hard to be a woman of means, probably had to go around some things to even own property. Oh, from the start of Jesus' ministry, women have been pivotal in the message of Christ. In fact, Luke would say that Jesus' ministry rides the financial back of women. It's not just there. Paul in Romans chapter 16, he's finishing up this book, which is so pivotal and important, and he goes through this long list of greetings to different people, most of them core pivotal leaders in the church, and a full half of those individuals are women. Fascinatingly, because Paul will be quoted in ways that suggest that women should not be leading at all in spiritual contexts, and he'll refer to Phoebe with a word that most everywhere else is translated deacon, and in this spot, many translations choose to use the word servant instead, maybe to stay out of trouble. But it's the same word he uses to describe Timothy and elsewhere to describe Paul's own ministry, that he is a deacon. In that list, he will go down through. At one point, he stops and says two names. He says, look, these two who have been imprisoned for their preaching and teaching are outstanding among the apostles. And one of them is a woman's name, Junia. It's fascinating to me that sometimes we place ourselves in a position, and I I realize part of it is we're trying to be fair to Scripture and we're working through a bunch of different pieces, but just understand this, Jesus elevated women in ministry. You think about this. Jesus came to this earth to save us by going to the cross and rising from the grave. Without which Paul will say, if he is not risen, this that we gather here for today is nonsense. We should just go home and never show up again. And Jesus has risen from the dead and and, and he's quite curious to calibrate, recalibrate with his father. He's ready to go and do that, but he will pause. You remember the story in John. This same writer that we're reading here says that what Jesus does is he calls a timeout and he pauses and he meets somebody and he talks with that somebody and then he gives that person a task they are the one he chooses to go back and teach the brothers about resurrection the most pivotal piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who is it it's Mary imagine that moment if you're not really interested in listening to women 
She shows up and says, Jesus asked me to come and proclaim the gospel of the risen Savior. And one would wonder, who are we to say, hey, 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 Mary, would you write that down and slip a note? Surely Jesus made a mistake. I, I don't know for sure if this is a literal woman or, or the church, but I feel pretty strongly, I, I need to say, because there are a lot of men and women in this room right here, right now, and some of you are wondering what God might call you to do. I believe God asks that we give our talents to him, and if you're a woman, that doesn't exclude you. If you're a young lady wondering and you've been thinking, maybe God's calling me into something, giving my life to him for ministry, and somebody has spoken or acted in the kind of way that causes you to think, but not you because of your gender, I apologize. I want to tell you that's not the way we look at it here. And in fact, I want to say, look, if you look around and watch what's going on at Crosswalk, just in Chattanooga, just that's all you have to look. You're going to see committed leaders, and I hope you will take the opportunity to be inspired by them to pony up and step up and give of yourself. And you're going to notice a lot of them are women. And it's a big deal. And if you're wondering, we affirm women in leadership and ministry because Jesus did. I mean, it's a good plan anyway, because they're good at it, but we do what Jesus does. So feel that calling. Men, women, children, feel the call. Well, John goes on. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Of course, we've been here for 1 John, some of us, for 1 John. And so we know this is, this is his thing. This is John's deal. He's going to show up and say, hey, everyone, love, love. The Father is love. God is love. Jesus is love. Love one another. That's it. Good night. Right? That's his deal. And he's referring back. He's not even just making stuff up for himself. He is saying the command, it's the command of Jesus who would say, you have heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But I say, don't just love your neighbor because quite frankly, we tend to lump people into categories and decide who is then enough neighborly for me to love. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. Let me just blast that out of the water. If you're getting a little too narrow on your love, love your enemies as yourself. And then right before he goes to the cross, he would take his disciples and he would pull them aside and he would say, a new commandment I give to you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy as yourself. I say, love your neighbor or your enemy as I love you. And somehow he steps around, even those of us who don't love ourselves very much, to say, my call is to give your life away in service and love of others. This is not a new command, John says. This is, this is nothing new. 
I, I ask that you love one another. And, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This truth and love. Now, we're going to come back here in just a minute, but we're going to move on past it. I wanted you to feel that flow as we then get into this issue that John really seems to have that he wants to talk to this lady, person, or church about. So he says, you know, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. I don't know how many of you were hoping to show up today so talk about the antichrist. (laughs) Count me in for that. I'm in for a good antichrist teaching. Let me have that. By the way, because we talked about it a little bit last week, John, in 1 John and here, this is the only time the Greek language that would be translated antichrist shows up in scripture at all. Because he used those words, we end up adopting it for things like in the the beast of Revelation, uh, antichrist. So we tend to kind of think about antichrist as pitchfork and horns and the devil and and, and surely that can be true. But John seems to say that you and I could be the Antichrist. (laughs) And how? By not acknowledging who Jesus Christ really is. We've talked about it. The Gnostics who would who would say, no, no, Jesus is not fully God and fully man. Some of them would go down the road of saying he's, he was a man who did very kind of nice and good things. And at times, maybe even some of them would say, the spirit was on him through a period of time. And he did very godly things. Maybe even divinity rested with him for a time. And then he, then he died on a cross and so on. And And by the way, if you're wondering why this would be any kind of an issue, if Jesus wasn't God, his death for you, I'm not sure why it would even count for salvation. Say nothing of, if Jesus isn't God, how is it that Jesus will tell you, I will die, you can crucify me, and I will raise me up. Maybe you didn't think about that. Jesus actually says he raises himself up in three days. But then you have the others who would say, yeah, 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 God, God, but it's, you can't have the, the flesh and the spirit together, so he came in a, uh, it was a spirit that came and looked a bit like a human being, and man, Paul would just argue to the nail, he would say, look, 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 Jesus knows what you experience, and you know why? Because he was fully going through it can separate out Jesus from our humanity and somehow his sacrifice becomes less that way too. And John is saying, look, look, here's the deal. The Antichrist, anything that diminishes who Jesus is. So watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, for, but that you may be rewarded fully. And anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching and has, he has both, she has both the father and the son. And so, elect lady, John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring the teaching, this teaching, this teaching of who Jesus is, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. And I know some of us, we're looking for good reasons not to welcome people into our house. Anybody here willing to admit that when the doorbell rings, you take an inventory of how easy it would be to pretend you weren't there? 
dive under the table, you know, you're calculating, is the car in the driveway or in the garage? Yeah, we can pass this off. <laughs> Others of us, especially when it comes to issues of truth, have defined circles around which we won't let other people inside. And some will use this as justification to rule out, to be inhospitable. And that's not really what John is talking about. You think about it, whether a person or a church, John is writing to a group of believers. And in this time and day and age, where do believers go to church? In somebody's home. John is saying, look, anything that makes less of who Jesus is, is wrong. Be thoughtful about who you invite to stand up and speak for the church. Be careful about that. Be jealous for that. Oh yes, welcome people into your home and feed them and treat them well. And we don't need to agree with one another to be able to come together. But be thoughtful about who you let stand up and speak that they preach a full Jesus. And by the way, you can preach a lesser than Jesus simply by taking something that is true and making it bigger than Jesus. Truth is truth because Jesus will say in John 14, I am the truth. And everything flows out of who he is. You and I, I just want to suggest to you that we're going to be careful with a stewardship of teaching and theology together. Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and say, hey, man, I'd, I'd love to preach, which is usually the first sign that they probably shouldn't preach. <laughs> or somebody will come and say, hey, man, my, my favorite speakers, you need to get, but I don't know them. I don't know what they're up to. I don't understand how they're going. I just want you to know and I know this to be true of Pastor Tim as well. Our commitment together as a family of believers is that when you show up, and if you would bring that friend of yours for the one time they would ever show up, that you will arrive at a place that preaches and teaches Jesus in large caps, in fullness, the truth under which everything else is subordinate. That is our commitment. That is our deep, deep desire and our stewardship and we expect God will call us to account for this. There are all sorts of ways that we accommodate the voices of others. In a small group as we talk about things, everybody should speak up whether you agree or disagree and so on, but we're gonna be thoughtful about what we present from the front as who we follow. And it will always be the fullness of Jesus Christ, it's possible to make mistakes, but that is our deep, deep commitment to you. So, truth and love. We're back to the heart of this thing. Right there in the, in the heart of it, starting in the fourth verse, John keeps talking about walking. Notice this. It was given to me, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. 
And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So we're called to walk in truth. And I've noticed that some of us, maybe even I've done this a time or two, we will notice God's call to truth and we will see it as an excuse to shoot arrows at people. Fire off. Anybody here ever witnessed somebody and you felt like, man, somebody needs to tell them and I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that's me. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna just, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna explain some things to you. Here we go, buckle up, sit down, have a beverage. This could be painful for you, not nearly so much for me, quite honestly. I've actually noticed preachers who preach on this passage use it that way. Look, here's John's call to you. Tell people where they're wrong. I challenge you to read 2 John and find any reference to talk a certain way. His challenge is to walk And that is, maybe for you subtly, but importantly different. That you and I are asked to walk in truth, to walk in obedience. Hey, look, it look, some of us use this kind of passage as as justification for hammering on people. Others of us think about all John said about love and, and just we want to have some gooey, gushy place where nothing is actually particularly relevant. Everybody just, you know, let everybody be themselves. Let's not have anything go on that could be difficult. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus asks us to do hard things. Jesus asked us to do hard things, and he modeled it, but, but I just want to say that he models it in a very specific way that I take some direction from as I consider this whole idea of how to process truth and how to share truth with somebody else I may disagree with. And this notion, though, of, of hard things, by the way, you do know wonderful and easy are not synonyms. Sometimes wonderful things are easy. Every parent here knows the most wonderful things are not. Anybody in a relationship that's lasted a day or two knows the most wonderful things can be hard. And Jesus calls us to difficult things as we walk in truth, as we walk in obedience, that we walk in Love, Jesus is the truth. Here's here's part of what John is saying. Look, truth always shows up riding a vehicle of love. Truth never wanders in a hateful donkey, right? Truth always comes in to the scene on love. And Jesus is absolutely the same because Jesus is the truth. Hey, look, we, you and I, we can do a little testing as we want to share this truth that means so much to us. Ask yourself this, is what's going on here Jesus riding in the vehicle of love? And by the way, what is the role of walking the truth? I find it, I find it fascinating 
Jesus shows up on this planet. He is tasked with the salvation. He has volunteered for the salvation of everyone, you and me, across time. And he goes 30 years without saying a thing. I don't know who his PR guy is, who it is that's telling him, let's do it this way. Wait a minute, I do know. It's the Holy Spirit who says, walk in love. And you don't find quotes from Jesus when he's 25. You know what else? You won't find Jesus standing preaching to the multitudes until he's gone through every town, every person there in in the town, and he has healed everyone who is sick. I wonder if I took that approach to my walk, that before I ever said anything to anyone, I would make sure everyone has been healed first. Walk in in the truth. You know... I'm pretty sure every single one of us can think of somebody we love that doesn't know Jesus or is choosing not to walk with Jesus. My wife and I pray for the people we love. And every once in a while I wonder, I think to myself, ah, maybe I should pronounce a little bit of truth into this particular scenario and this situation. And by the way, do you think my own children don't know what I think and believe at this point? Saying it is not the thing they need. They need to why and oh play this, play this little movie out in your head. My child, who has decided that right now they're not so sure they want to walk with Jesus who knows I'm walking with Jesus and wants to walk with me. And the clip rolls. And there is my child and me and Jesus walking together. I don't even understand it. But I lay claim to what John is saying here Walk with the truth. Walk in love. And Peter will say, every once in a while, you'll provoke a question. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You notice the order of things there? You've walked closely enough with somebody, possibly sacrificed yourself for some measure of their healing. And as you're walking beside them in a world that's filled with hopelessness, they begin to wonder, what is it you're eating? Because something's different about you. I don't even know that I believe what you, I don't don't get it at all. I just know I want a little bit of hope. Why are you... By the way, side note, shame on me. If the picture of Christ followership I portray is that we're about as ticked off about what's going on and hopeless as everybody else. Anger ought not be our front forward face, hope. There's something different we know. There's something big going on.
and I'm gonna let Jesus talk about it through my life by walking with him and walking in love with anybody who'd be willing. And then I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna be ready when the question comes. I'd like my life to beg a question or two. So I invite you right now, think about somebody you care about that you're not so sure has a, has a walk with Jesus. We're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna talk about that to God. The one who loved them before you did. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.